Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. It's episode 449 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I interview Julio Solis and Emilio Monge of Sunner Entertainment and ask them about the design and development of their dexterity-based platform adventure game, Planet Cube Edge. Yes, Tim. There's a man called Tim who won't like the word edge in the name of this game. If you know what I'm talking just look it up. Look it up, it's a whole mess. Anyway, that aside, fantastic interview, this one. Uh, first ever Costa Rican developer we've had on the show. That's right, Costa Rica we've had. Uh, and really, uh, Helio and, and Emilio, wonderful guests, really open and honest about the trials and tribulations they faced when making Planet Cube Edge. It's a very difficult game, but like Super Meat Boy, with the infinite sort of replacement or you reappear and you keep going and keep going. It's a wonderful addition to that genre, which is tough to make. So without further ado, let's listen to me for the relatively recent past talk about the creation of Planet Cube Edge. Chris, take it away. Hello, Vigilio and Emilio. Hello, Chris. In that order, can you tell us who you are and what you do? Okay. Well, I guess I go first. My name is Virgilio Solis. I'm the CEO of Sunar Entertainment. Um, I'm also the lead developer of the game we're going to be discussing. And yeah, I live in Costa Rica, San Jose, in sunny Costa Rica, somewhere. Uh, some people say, and, and yeah, that's that's me. My background is I'm a developer, and, and yeah, yeah, cool. Emilio, what what, what do uh, you do, sir? Who are you? <laughs> my name is Emilio Monge. I'm also from Costa Rica. I'm the CTO of Suna Entertainment. Um, my main role in the game was lead design, lead game designer. Uh, but I, as Virgilio will also confirm, we all wore many many hats. 
uh, because we're a small team. Um, and my background is also computer science. So I'm also a programmer, but I mostly, I, I, again, I do a lot of things. <laughs> mm, that's fine. That's fine. So again, the same order. We'll just bounce back between you. So, or you can switch it around. I don't mind, but just to, so everyone can focus on the voices. How did you make your start making video games, Felia? Well, uh, when I was uh, when I was in high school, um, you'll be surprised. But I got my like I had a computer at my grandparents' house, but it wasn't in my house. But the first computer that I got actually was in in ninth grade in in high school. That's the first time I had a computer in home. And with the computer, I got a book uh, of Visual Basic and also a book of 3D Studio Max. And that's what it got me started in playing with programming, but also playing with graphics. Um, and I was quite excited about it. Um, and then I picked up on some high school projects for uh, a science fair, both uh, related to um, it wasn't games, but visual stuff, right? Um, and then when I was uh, finishing high school, I wanted to study uh, computer animation. <laughs> that was like the thing that I like. Um, but here in Costa Rica, it was super expensive to study that. So I got into one of the best colleges here in Costa Rica on computer sciences. And, and I decided to go that direction. And, and then um, during college, I found out that video games were <laughs> sort of like the best uh, part of both areas, art and programming. And I decided that what I wanted to do was something that kind of combined those things together. And, and then I jumped into video games uh, uh, right after college. Yes. Mm -hmm. Amelia. How did you make your start making video games? Uh, well, I was always a gamer. I started with the Commodore 64 that my brother had, uh, and I started playing games there. I also remember like sitting next to my dad as he played the first flight simulator, like with a manual, telling him what the keys were because that game was really complicated. Uh, so games were always a part of my life, and at some point I decided to be very pragmatic and be like, uh, okay, if I'm gonna study uh, something, I'll probably do programming because if I don't get into video games, which is very hard from Costa Rica, at least I won't starve because uh, I always can get a job in programming. Um, and I think what really, what really like cemented it is I remember uh, I didn't have a lot of like money for video games. So I remember I tended to, uh, like emulation of games. And I remember there was an emulator called CSNES, uh, which had a, like a memory editor where you could like search for values and like create like a cheat code that would freeze the game. And I could increase things like the jumping height of Mario in Super Mario World, things like that. And like at that point, I was like, oh my God, this is like magic. I feel like a wizard. Like it's, I'm altering the the rules of a world. And that's when I realized, like, yeah, I'm going to study programming, basically, to create video games. And moving on to the next question. Now, this next question is somewhat difficult to answer. And I've found many guests actually combine 
to say it's so you might say it's it's Sun Entertainment's position rather than individually. But you may be taking it individually as well. But I have to ask it because you are creators, and creators are generally influenced by something or inspired by something. So that's really the question. What are what do you believe are your biggest influences? Okay. So I'll start. Um, when, it, when it comes to video games, uh, I guess uh, one of my favorite games of all times is Super Mario World, uh, Super Nintendo one. Uh, but, you know, more than that, uh, I, I get a lot of influence from, from like uh, the feelings that I get from, from, from watching movies. I'm always crying in movies. I don't know why, but I feel like that media has a lot of power. And then I strongly believe that translating in some ways, the movies uh, do trans- can kind of translate feelings into a more, I'll say, more powerful medium, uh, which are video games, is something that I feel very. Uh, very passionate about so I, I get a lot of inspiration from 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 movies yes <laughs> that's me so the emotional engagement you have with them is that that feeling that's yeah. what you get driven by it's wonderful what about yeah what about you yeah. oh sorry so if you've got more to say on that i mean that's that yeah exactly i mean i try to to i feel like um, that's also a way of, of even engaging with more people, uh, even people that uh, normally don't play video games. They they watch movies, and I feel like uh, trying to do it the way that I try to do it uh, uh, potentially can kind of attract more people to 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 play video games. Trying to kind of uh, transmit the same feelings that a movie can transmit them. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so on in my case, I think it's a like. So I think saying like in a specific game is very hard for me. It's kind of like the "what's your favorite game of all time" question. It's like you have I like I have like twenty games that I just like rotate through every time I get asked that question, and I'm just like, okay, this is the, the you told me there was a different one yesterday. Okay, that that one as well. So, uh, but I think. I think for like video game creation at some point I I realized I wasn't going to be able to like formally study game design so I started reading a lot of books on game design and something that really like got in my head was um they said that um like all experiences can inspire video games like and I noticed that to be like true like I remember the first time I played Papers Please I was like Oh, this is a game inspired by actual work. Uh, like this is something that is tedious, and somebody made a, made a, a a game out of this. So now, now I try to like, it's it's well. I, as I get older, it's obviously harder. But I'm I'm always like going into every experience I can. But I always try to like, if I'm I don't know, if I'm out walking, I'm like, could this be a game? Uh, I remember at one point I was like, I was like. Um, when when I was listening to music and I was walking towards the bus stop, I could like sometimes I adjusted my my walking speed to the rhythm of the music, 
And I'm like, I'm sure there's a game there. And then I saw Crypt of the Necrodancer and I'm like, okay, you, you guys got it. That's, that's exactly what I thought about. Uh, but like even, I don't know, the most tedious thing that I could do in my, ha- in my life could be a fun game. So I always try to be like, to extrapolate out of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Someone made a game about bread and toast and that's it. <laughs> you just trying to get a bit of bread into some toast. toast that's it. It's the whole purpose of the game. Work of genius. <laughs> I am bread, I believe it's called. But uh, yeah, no, you're right. Even the most mundane can inspire genius. So thank you. Yeah. Okay, next question. And this one's pr- definitely individual, this one. So, Tahidio, uh, if you could uh, have a go at this one and then Emilio have a go. What video game developer do you admire most and why? It could be a person uh, or a studio. And it can have more than one. Okay, so um, I like a lot the people of of of, of the, the the developer that did Celeste, Matt. Uh, what's the last name? Mari um, Mari Thorson. Mari Thorson. Yeah, I feel like. Um, I mean, like he has a very clear idea of the type of games he wants to create, and I have seen a couple of talks that he has done and. Uh, and how clear he thinks about the games that he's creating is definitely an inspiration for me. And the fact that uh, he doesn't sort of like deviate a lot from from his principles uh, is something that I, I feel I, like. Can I interject? Uh, I think yeah. um, Mari, Mari Thorson is now actually a her. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, that, it's better if you answer from that perspective. Otherwise, it could be very awkward. <laughs> I no, well, I'm talking about how he thinks on games, yeah. Uh, so, um, well, it doesn't change anything for me, eh? yeah. uh, but um, and then, um, I guess, I guess an opposite is is uh, is Genova, Genova Shen, the, the pool of journey. Um, I saw one of my first, my first GDC, I'll say. I went to a talk and he was talking about how he designed Journey and it was very, very inspirational for me. And the way that he has built his company, uh, uh, actually we had like, uh, there's a fellow Costa Rican developer that works with them and he, they, and he just did a talk here in Costa Rica. And it was very, uh, from what he, said it was very clear to me that uh, Genoa Chan has like um, um, again has very clear idea of the type of games he wants to create and 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 is very um, uh, you know emotionally heavy games and uh, yeah I get a lot of inspiration from him I think he is he, very good then Amelia yeah who, who would you point at and say, please continue what you're doing? You're very good. Uh, it's a very, again, it's a very hard question for me. Uh, I'd say I'd be, I'd, it, the low-hanging fruit is saying Miyamoto because he's very, like, obviously ex- extremely talented. Uh, but I, I, like, even, like, I don't want to go into much of Miyamoto because only everybody knows what Miyamoto can and has done. But I'd say it's, it's I'd, I'd mention, like, a, like a tangent. I Every time I remember like a game from my childhood, I just like go and Google 
those developers and i'm like it's very it's very interesting for me like i remember i recently googled the guy who who created ski free for the windows uh the one where he skied and you control with the mouse and like he still he still is around like he still like maintains his website for ski free which is like it looks like from the time from the times when that 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 was created um recent like i always it, it's very it's very interesting to me because i always like look up these creators for games i loved as a kid and i'm like where what happened to them some of them are not in the industry anymore some of them still remain some of them like disappeared completely um Recently, I was looking into. Uh, I really loved the game for the Wii called "The House of the Dead Overkill," which was created by a, I think a British team called Headstrong Games, and Headstrong Games I think disappeared. But like that game has so much. Like everything is has a a very clear vision, even though it's very raunchy and things like that. But it is very clear that like even the people who made the soundtrack were guided by that and i'm so i cannot help but admire like the the studio director even though i don't i don't know his name even though he's like someone unknown in the industry but it's, it's it's a lot about talking about those people who actually have a lot of impact and nobody questions somebody people some maybe somebody like loved like um i don't know like a breath of the wild system and don't they don't even know like the person who created that right so it it is It is crazy to me because it's such a collaborative effort that it, I feel it's a bit disingenuous to like admire, for example, um, Kojima in a way, because obviously he has like the great vision, but there's a lot of people who collaborate on that. And we probably will never know their names. And But it is it is amazing that they can always be like, oh, you know that system in Metal Gear? I did that, you know, uh, or that, that sound effect I did. That sounds really great when you eat a, a ration. I made that and it, I, I still remember the day that I made it. But yeah, I, I think that's kind of like my answer. No, <laughs> Even no. if it's a non-answer. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a great answer. I still remember uh, we we had Assassin's Creed Valhalla developers behind that, one of the producers on that lead producer. And I still remember when I finished that game. Do you ever finish that? You can't really finish it. Anyway, I got to credits. Let's just put it that way. And it just kept on going and going in thousands, thousands yeah. of people involved with the making of that game. Because mm -hmm. all those assets, all those plant pots, they had to be smashed up somehow. They've got to be made, haven't they? I have a funny story with, with, with that. Like I always, whenever I finish a game, I always go through the credits. Like I don't, like even though I'm not paying attention, I'm like, okay, this person's like, are going to be in my screen at some point. Like, I think I deserved them that because of yeah. the joy they gave them. But that bit me, bit me in the bud once. I think it was Dead Cells where it, where it had like procedurally generated credits that went on forever. <laughs> so I just like stay there and I'm like, this, this in the game is, has a lot of people working on it. <laughs> and I just like stay there for like, like a couple of hours. I'm like, no, this can't be... <laughs> Good game, but not that many people, surely. Anyway. <laughs> Next question, and this one's a little easier. But uh, again, Helio and uh, Emilio, we can sort of bounce between you. What are you playing right now? Oh. Um, 
I'm playing uh, Dredge, um, and then I'm playing a little bit of Sea of Thieves. Um, <laughs> it's funny. It's just it's because um, we are we're working on a on a sailing game, and so I'm just doing a little bit of research. So those those games are are part of the inspiration. So I'm playing them. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Dredge have uh, featured on this show uh, previously, so uh, yeah, do, uh, do, cool. do, do have a listen to the episode, how they made Dredge. It's a great episode. Of course it is. Every episode's great, but that one, <laughs> yeah, very interesting. And what about you, Emilio? What are you distracting yourself with? Uh, I do a lot. Well, I, I'm currently obviously doing Tears of the Kingdom because it is like the thing that everyone's doing right now. Uh, but I always have like my own like like set of multiplayer games uh, that I always like cycle around mostly to play with friends sometimes to like just shut my brain off uh, so I have like Valorant I do a lot of Rocket League Rocket League is probably the, ga- the game I've played the most like through my entire life um, uh, Overwatch um, I've also been doing a lot of like open up opening up uh, Quake Live and like just killing some bots in Instagib free for all just because it relaxes me for some reason it's just like a comfort comfort zone place for me um but yeah i think those are pretty much my current game yeah i always loved instagibbing in an unreal tournament i mean all you had to do is level the gun and shoot once how hard can it be <laughs> <laughs> that's it no bullet sponges or nothing you hit someone they're dead yeah it's just the best mode ever <laughs> at least for 10 minutes and then it gets a bit dull but <laughs> anyway well fantastic answers and fantastic first half at least i think so but um let's go on to part two where we're going to be delving deep to planet cube edge request really but it's time it's kind of a question either of you have a go at this best of luck by the way what is planet cube edge you want to give it a try Emilio? i mean i can um i think planet cube edge is basically our attempt at a precision platformer which is a harder than people think genre to attack um that is 
very challenging, but we try to mitigate that by being very generous with our checkpoints. So I always kind of describe it as a hard game that doesn't hate its player, um, which is usually the the thing with hard games, right? They are really punishing and they're like, yeah, if you, if you die, you got to go back to the beginning uh, or you, you lost everything, etc. Um, so it's a precision platform that tries to like level the playing field so that even like, Hardcore players can have fun because it's still really hard, but casual players can have a place in there where they can advance even like slowly, but they can eventually finish the game. So my first design question is this, and it's a wonderful summary, by the way, Emilio. I won't embellish any further on that. It's pretty much there. Knowing what the player or indeed their avatar is capable of is vital when it comes to dexterity-based platform games. That's the first thing you have to figure out. Wait, can they jump longer if you press the button longer? Yes. Can they move after you've jumped? Yes, that kind of thing. Just knowing what's possible. With Planet Cube Edge being the tougher end of the genre... Although there are difficulty settings, everyone, so you can you know, scale it back a bit. How have you found designing the controls for it? This sounds quite a benign question to a layperson, but that is the key. What have you done? Have you just clearly, you know, not saying, oh, why did you use X for shoot? No, not that. You know what I'm getting at? It's just that designing the interaction, what the player can do with the gamepad in their hand. What what have you done to, to sort of manage that and basically refine it to a point where it is now? Well, maybe I can take that one. Um, well, I guess, first of all, um, when it came to decide what uh, Edge can potentially do and what he can do, uh, uh, it used to be like Edge can do a lot of things more than it can right now. So we used to have um, uh, wall jumping. We used to have, you can shoot uh, down, you can shoot diagonally, then you, you can shoot up. Um, then he used to have bumps. And what it worked for us uh, and what happened is that we created this super powerful character that kind of didn't fit what uh, we wanted to achieve. And then we start to kind of pull back on the features that he can do. Um, so we did that and we found out that it was enough that uh, with Edge just shooting horizontally and then having like a stump, a stump mechanic and a dash. And that's how we nailed down the actions. of, uh, And it was more about like testing it and trying to kind of figure out interesting levels within the constraints that we had uh, and seeing that in order to do that, we had to kind of cut, cut back a little bit on the features that Edge had. And when it came to kind of fine tuning the actions that we decided to have at the end, uh, at the beginning, I, 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 you know, it was a lot of feeling, I will say, which is, <laughs> I know it's not you know, like uh, a straight answer, but a lot of feeling, but also a lot of inspiration. So you will see myself playing 
a little bit of Mario work and, and actually recording the movement of Mario. And because and, I like, I really love the game. I was trying to kind of get a little bit of the feeling of, of on, and the heaviness of the character uh, from that. And then playing a lot of Celeste and took a little bit from that. And then a little bit of Super Meat Boy and kind of played all these, all those different games and see how the character felt and kind of take a little bit from each of those. And, and that's how, uh, you know, how we kind of ended up with the feeling of, of, of Edge, our main character, and the control that he has. A lot of fine tuning, taking a lot of inspiration, and a lot of, 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 of plate testing. We'll say that this last one is, is the most important one. Mm -hmm. I'll, add, I'll add something that I think we, we, added, we started working at the end, but even though Edge is uh, simple, it has very few actions. We kind of wanted to like add like a like very subtle interactions that people didn't need to play the game, but they could find out. Um, I think the the biggest, the most obvious one in the in our game is that once you jump, if you're when you start falling down, the first time you shoot your gun, you will hover in the game in the air a little bit, and that when people find out, we we probably have secrets built around those, but it's not meant is not necessary for the critical path and we kind of like use those three simple mechanics that edge has to like add a little bit of complexity sometimes uh if you dash and you stomp and you kill an enemy by stomping it your your dash will refresh so it's those like subtle subtle like combination of actions that actually like add a little bit of depth to the controlling of the character even though it is a really simple character and, and like mechanics wise less is more that's what you discovered uh, it sounds like a somewhat painful way but that's what you discovered yeah. um, but, um next question then here we go there is a need for the player to identify opportunities of movement where they can go safely and with edge being like i said limited what have you done to help the player exploit these movements and identify this without flagging it entirely? What do you believe you've done in the level design to make sure that they can see a path without actually advertising what that path is in Planet Cube Edge? What have you done to give them a chance? Okay, I'll, I'll take this one. Um, so basically, level design was... I pretty sure we all agree the hardest part of Planet Cube Edge uh, because it had like a lot of rooms uh, our our character was nailed down really early in the development process and level design was key. Uh, I think what we did personally is have uh, as Virgilio mentioned before uh, Genova's chins I think it was uh, his um, flow chart right he, he goes up and then down up and then down so it is like you start simple and then you drop it you start you you increase complexity and then you drop it um so we did kind of did that with level design we kind of like prime the player by having very very easy situation rooms and then we like ramp it up a little bit and then ramp it up a bit of it and then we have another situation then we, and then we ramp it up a little bit and then we ramp it up a little bit and then we combine those two and then we kind of like structure the games in that in a way that the player always faces similar situations that he has he had faced before 
Uh, so it is very easy for them to identify what needs to be done. And we also like, and this is probably like a cop-out answer, but um, we played the games. We just were like very critical with, with our games. And we were like, okay, if, if I just start the game, do I know where to go? Like, is it obvious to me if the player, because it's very easy to like saturate level design. It's very easy to like have the player have multiple options right away. And we're like, okay, does he know this is a secret? Does he know this is the critical path? There's a lot of those we did. And I'm not saying we perfected all of them, but we did pay attention to all of them. Uh, and we, we, we did like identify those situations and we're like, no, this is, this is, you're not sure if you have to go this way or this way. You don't know if this is the, the optional path or the critical path. Uh, players are not, you're, you're asking the player to stomp here, but he hasn't stomped. He hasn't had the need to stomp for 10 levels before. So he probably won't know he has to stomp on this level. So we kind of like did that critical thinking on the level design. And it was, it was basically like uh, doing a level polishing, doing a level, throwing it away, doing a level polishing, 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 oh, yeah. and like polishing until we were like satisfied. Again, I'm, I'm sure uh, Virgilio and I can agree that we can still find levels where we're not fully confident on, on those things. Uh, but, you know, we cannot, like, keep doing it forever. We, we got to reach yeah. a, a point where we're satisfied. Yeah, I'll add really quickly that um, that it was key for us also. Uh, you, you can underestimate the value of a good camera position in a game sometimes. Mm -hmm. And, and the, you know, what you show the player with the camera is obviously uh, the key. That the you know the solution of the problem has to be always there, right? And it cannot it cannot be hidden because you cannot see it because the camera doesn't show it, right? Um, avoid leap of fates uh, is an example of that, right? Um, um, so we made sure like our camera was something simple, but you know it's what you have to do. Uh, we make sure the camera is always positioned in the right place so you can see the challenge. The challenge is always visible. Um, so basically, the player always has the tools to solve what he needs to solve um, because the elements are there, are visible. And, and it's up to them to kind of figure it out. But yeah, good camera, I'll say. Very important. <laughs> Speaking of uh, solving puzzles and overcoming obstacles, Planet Cube Edge, a lot of it is about learning from outcomes now many people know from mistakes no i prefer outcomes because an outcome can either be a good or a bad outcome you learn from success as well i don't know why people don't say that enough but it's true if you do a thing it's successful you go well i'll do that again yeah. <laughs> and that yeah. happens a lot in planet cube edge good heavens does it happen a lot to get past every certain there's certain things that go that's right edge can do this can't he so if i press against that and then leap at that point that blade thing won't smash me in the face it happens so often me really learning what edge can do um it's, it's so important but i just want to ask what do you believe embedded within planet cube edge within its you know its core what do you believe is the one that 
keeps the player motivated to carry on because it is difficult and it can lead to frustration but that's a conceit that's a that's a, that's a buy-in if you're going to play a game like this you're going to get frustrated that's how it works how do you stop them from what of a better horrible phrase rage quitting what do you do what do you make sure what well, I know what you do, but I want you to tell me. Well, at least I think I know what you do. But what do you do to keep people going? Okay. Maybe I take this one. Uh, I think we do two things. Um, we uh, we took the approach that, uh, you know, our game was going to be consumed, let's say, by pieces. <laughs> so it's, it's sort of like the approach of, of, of Celeste and I guess a little bit of Super Meat Boy work. You know, a level is uh, a, um, a series of rooms that you have to come, you have to complete, and then you can stop at any room that you want to, and then stop playing, and then just you know come back the next day and and just keep going, right? Um, it doesn't have to be necessarily long plays, but you have to kind of do it in our game, and I think that helps. Uh, right, and that helps because um, it could be very exhausting uh, playing a hardcore precision platforming for a long time, uh, and you know, just uh, divided uh, divided the game in small chunks uh, was very helpful. And then the other part was uh, obviously our approach to checkpoints. Uh, I'll say that's uh, an important one, and um, the fact that uh, you only have to do three or four consecutive consecutive precise actions before you get your checkpoint. Um, I believe that's key to, you know, overcome the usual frustration that that uh, precision precision platformer can um, give to players. So yeah, I'll highlight those two things and those were like the principles of our design uh, when it came to um, not frustrating the player. <laughs> I'll add I'll add to to that that um something that um is very important is that we took a page from Super Meat Boys book where the response are really fast. Mm. So people don't have the chance to get frustrated uh when they're when they're dead. This is not a, a game over screen, etc. And the other thing which I think is something that we designed that I think we don't we don't value enough is the fact that there's no lives. You have infinite attempts. You have, there's not like we, we have like a death counter, but it's only optional. You can only, you only enable it if you actually want to see it, but people like you, the game is not guilting you for dying. It's just like, you okay, try again, try again. And the game just keeps on pushing you forward uh, without, uh, without guilting you. Like nobody, the game basically is like, okay, you die. Nobody cares. Uh, it's it's just it, it just happened. Try again. We believe you can, and I think that is very key because frustration is sometimes um, I think comes from the game from the game uh, being a little bit judgy uh, with things like death, etc., which I feel a lot in other hard games. Uh, and another thing is that we always planned our puzzles to not be cheap. Uh, like nothing takes you by surprise. Everything is very apparent. And some of one of our biggest mantras was every time the player dies, he needs to feel like it's his fault, not the game's. Because mm -hmm. if he feels, if he blames the game, 
we're going to lose him. If he blames himself, he's going to push himself further. So that is uh, something that uh, I'll add. Yeah. For me, if I may, there's one, one more thing. I'm an explorer. I like seeing new stuff. So if it takes, if I just see this little sliver at the right-hand side of the screen, so I'll just go a little bit further. Oh, it looks interesting. <laughs> I better carry on going. So that's one of my personal motivations. But not everyone is like that, I grant you. But, you know, some people are. So that's that's my my little character for you. But and there's many others as well. But uh, speaking of seeing new things, I like my segues. You might pick that up on that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Is um, last question. I know it's been fun, isn't it? But there it is. Sorry, I can't leave you and not asking this question. I'm just fascinated by why you did this. The colour palette, the colour palette, Planet Cube Edge, is quite limited. Don't know how many colours it is. I mean, there's certain shades. I mean, it's about four or five different shades of the same colour, but the actual number of colours, I suspect, is way more than that. And that's it's fine. Why? Just why? Why was that decision made? You could have made it an absolute, like, smorgasbord of, like, you know, rainbow of colours. You could have done. I, don't know, I think I know why, but you you tell me, why did you go with this low number of colours? Why was that? Okay. So, yeah, I, the, the, actually, the answer is quite straightforward. Um, we started with a game that it was going to be full colour. That's, the, you know, our initial idea and actually our first demos were full colour. Uh, but we also find out that uh, having <laughs> having that many options of color make things a little bit, um, I'll say, uh, I wouldn't say harder, but it did, it did take longer for the artist to come up with, you know, the different assets, the words, the environments, etc. And since we are a small team, we kind of needed to figure out a way to to try to make it more efficient. And we find out that uh, limiting the amount of colors uh, gave us that option. And also gave us the opportunity to set ourselves uh, apart from other games, which was uh, key for us. Um, when you're making a platformer, uh, you'll it's very hard to set yourself apart. And um, yeah, you know, there is a lot of games on that genre and that's the reality. And we saw an opportunity with our color palette on our approach to the art, uh, an opportunity to set ourselves apart and we took it. And it came with challenges, uh, uh, contrast challenges, uh, it, I wouldn't say like it was super easy and it did give us problem, problems, but at the end, um, yeah, well, we're happy with the result. And, and yeah, uh, those are all the reasons. <laughs> I think the black outlines helped quite a lot. Yeah. That allowed the things that are moving to pop out of the screen. So, but yeah, very, very clever. And, uh, 
I don't know. It seems to move fast than it actually is, which is lovely. There's uh, something, some, some, maybe sort of illusion going on there, but uh, it's a very, very fluid. And you're right. I think if it was all colourful, it would be A, difficult to make, and B, difficult to play because you wouldn't know what's going on. You couldn't see things a lot. I mean, how many times have we played games, beautiful as they are? I didn't see that. You know, a green thing behind a green thing. Like, oh, great. <laughs> I couldn't see that. And then you'd spend hours putting everything, making all those things into purple things. Oh, yeah. I mean, it worked with Dead Cells, maybe. Well, of course it does. But not every game has to be a, you know, a great, mm-hmm. great um, swath of colour. Yeah. Okay. So Planet Cube Edge, it's been developed by Sunna Entertainment. I have to ask, where does that name come from? <laughs> um. My old, well, our old partner, uh, which is not in the company anymore, uh, he spent uh, like a year working on, on Iceland. Um, and it seems like uh, Suna, it's sort of like the name of the sun, something like that there. He, came, he got the inspiration from that for some reason, uh, I don't know why. And <laughs> he, he, he brought it, we like it, and we just took Fair it. Fair enough. Yeah, there's so, not like a very it's deep... It's sooner. Oh, apologies. <laughs> I'm very, very English, just focusing on oh, those two ends then. Must be Sana. <laughs> anyway, terrible language. Um, And it's published by Firestoke Games. And yes. can you tell us what platforms uh, Planet Cube Edge is on, please? Uh, it's on the Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, Xbox One, Xbox Series S, Series X, um, Steam on both PC and Mac. Uh, we've also done the work to make it Steam Deck compatible. Uh, and yeah, I think those are basically the platforms. Oh, and it's also on Epic, Epic Game Store. Yeah. Epic Game Store, yeah. Wonderful stuff. All of the things, everyone. When I want to find it, it's probably there. And you, <laughs> yes. I mean, I can't stress this enough, everyone. You really do need to, because to, I've seen the reviews on Steam. And it's just like, yeah, this game's great. It's great. <laughs> because you respect the player. Thanks for that. Yeah. It's clearly you are both as well. The best creators are the ones who consume the medium as well. Yeah. So, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Genuinely has. And um, we'd love to have you back on to talk about what next is cooking under your brains, um, whatever that means. Uh, we've had a lot of return guests over the years, and uh, we will be here. Trust me. I know you're probably <laughs> two years away from whatever you're making. We'll be here. We'll be here. But nice. um, until then, thank you very much. Thank you for having yeah. us, Chris. Yeah, yeah, Chris. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it was fun. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended, and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and at our website. Pain and rinse.com.